Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And you may be wondering, why is there another episode when we've already had one this week? Well, um, you know, one of the things that Derek used to do with the show is every February we would spotlight some uh, black superhero movies for Black History Month. And uh, we did that in uh, 2020 and 2021. Um, fortunately, that many passed away uh, shortly after the last time we did it. Um, and then last year, we had had uh, Kellen Conley on to do Falcon and Winter Soldier, and that was kind of our Black History Month uh, spotlight in those two episodes. Um, unfortunately, this year, I kind of lost track of things um, because I ended up doing batch recordings months in advance. So... Next thing I knew, I already had all the episodes for February all lined up, and February just kind of crept up on me. So I wasn't able to kind of prepare things so that I could spotlight things for Black History Month. So what I thought I'd do instead this month is give you a double dose and have a rebroadcast of some of my favorite uh, black superhero movie episodes that we've done on this show. So with that in mind, uh, this first one we're going to be talking about, you're going to be listening to Derek and I discuss uh black panther a replay of our episode back from episode 13 so hope you enjoy it and i'll see you again in the next episode and in your house serving justice to a man who stole your vibranium and murdered your people justice your king couldn't deliver i don't care that you brought claw only reason I don't kill you where you stand is because I know who you are. Now what do you want? I want the throne. <laughs> hey, you, the tuna. <laughs> Y'all sitting up here comfortable. Must feel good. It's about two billion people all over the world that looks like us, but their lives are a lot harder. Wakanda has the tools to liberate them all. And what tools are those? Vibranium. Your weapons. Our weapons will not be used to wage war on the world. It is not our way to be judge, jury, and executioner for people who are not our own. Not your own. But didn't life start right here on this continent? So ain't all people your people? I am not king of all people. I am king of Wakanda. And it is my responsibility to make sure our people are safe and that vibranium does not fall into the hands of a person like you. Son, we have entertained the charlatan for too long. Reject his request. Oh, I ain't requesting nothing. Ask who I am. You're Eric Stevens, an American black operative, a mercenary nicknamed Killmonger. That's who you are. That's not my name, princess. Ask me, King. No. Ask me. Take him away. Ungubani! Indingu in Jadaka! Unyanakan Jobu! Huh? Unyanakan Jobu? I found my daddy with panther claws in his chest! You ain't the son of a king, you're a son of a murderer! Uyabosisa! Lies! I'm afraid not, Queen Mother. <gasps> what? You? Indanda Togan Jobu. Hey, Auntie. I'm exercising my blood right now. The challenge for the mantles of King and Black Panther. 
Do not do this, T'Challa. As the son of Prince Injobu, he is within his rights. He has no rights here. The challenge will take weeks to prepare. Weeks? I don't need weeks. The whole country ain't gotta be there. I just need him and somebody to get me out of these chains. T'Challa, what do you know of this? I accept your challenge. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. Uh, after some technical difficulties, I am half of your host, Perry Constantine. And I am the other half, Derek Ferguson. How you doing today, Derek? Pretty good. Today was a very good day. Here it is, the end of February, and it was 60 degrees here in Brooklyn today. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So Patricia and I got out, we did some things, you know, just to get outside and just to enjoy, you know, the sunshine. And uh, it's been a pretty mild winter here so far, knock on wood. Hopefully I won't have to shovel any snow this <laughs> this winter. We got a little bit of snow uh, last week, actually. Um, just one day, and like when I took out the garbage in the morning, there was some snow on the roof of my car and some snow on the sidewalks. Uh, uh-huh. But I didn't actually have to go to work until that night, and by the time I went to work, the snow was already melted. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, now see, that's, yeah. See, you know what, I don't mind if it snows, if the temperature goes up and then it and then everything melts afterwards, which which is what which is what has happened uh, twice here. We, you know, we did get some snow. We got a, like about like an inch mm-hmm. each time, but both times, yeah, you know, by the time I woke up in the morning, yeah, the snow it all melted away. So yeah, I've been here now for about you know eleven, twelve years, and in that time. Pretty much every single year, there's been one day a year when we get like a light dusting of snow, and then it's mm. gone by the afternoon. There was like two years when we had actual, you know, snow that turned out to be a problem. And one of those years, I was actually on vacation, so I didn't have to worry about it. Oh, okay. But it's a far cry yeah, from yeah. Chicago. When my first trip back, I went back at the end of March, and I thought, oh, this is a good time. You know, it's right when spring is starting. It won't be too cold. won't be too hot. And then, boom, last day of March, got hit with a friggin' blizzard. Oh, man. Yeah, you know what that happened to me last year when I went to uh, Chicago? I, I went to Windy City, you know. Yeah. And I, I went to a convention, and, uh, you know, I'm there. I'm having a good time. And, you know, I'm hanging out with uh, Ron Fortier and, you know, Tommy Hancock and... Um, who else was there? Van Allen, Plexiclo, mm-hmm. you know. I'm hanging out, I'm having a good time. And then I wake up Sunday morning, and it's like three inches of snow out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And I had to, and, you know, and I had to, like, really pack up real quick, and I had to go to the airport because they sent me a text alert saying, you know, well, listen, you better come to the airport right now if you want to try to get out of here before we decide to close the sucker down. So, mm. yeah, you know, but everybody says that in Chicago, that's like the standard thing that happens there all yeah. the time. It doesn't, doesn't surprise anybody, you no, know. No, not at all, yeah. it's it, The weather in Chicago is downright schizophrenic. Yeah, exactly. That's what they were saying. They said, you know, the people would say, yeah, you know, they said this happens all the time. I said, really? They said, yeah. Yeah, no that's that's why I only go back and I only visit my I only visit my mom and my sister in in like August. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying to Patricia, uh, cause she cause she was asking me. She said, "Oh well, 
Are you gonna go back to Windy City? I said, not unless they go have it during the summertime. <laughs> yeah, you know what? they should. That would make it so much better because then I could actually go to Windy City because I can't go in the in uh, April when they usually have it. <laughs> yeah, I told her. I said, yes, and I go if they go have it. If they go have it in August. We should start a campaign to get them to change it to August. Then we could both have, meet up there. We should. We should. You know what? I wish I wasn't so lazy because I would try to organize something like that here in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. You know, but like I said, I'm too lazy for that. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm not going to listen, folks. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, we've known each other too long for that. You know, <laughs> I, I'm lazy. I am. <laughs> All right, so um, today we're continuing on with um, spotlighting black movies, uh, black superhero movies, and my pick was what I think is, at least for my money, the best uh, black superhero movie, if not one of the best superhero movies in general, which is uh, Black Panther, directed by Ryan Coogler. Um... Okay, how do I start? Okay, first of all, folks, you have to know something that that I owe Perry and a whole bunch of people a lot of money. <laughs> because for at least, no lie, at least 20 years, for 20 years now, whenever the subject of a Black Panther movie has come up, you know, and I always would tell people, listen, I'm going to bet you much. They're never going to make a Black Panther movie. I was just convinced that I would never see one in my lifetime. I just knew it for a fact they wasn't going to make a Black Panther movie. Lo and behold, they made one. And as my esteemed co-host so accurately said, it is not, you know what? Okay, I'm going to put myself out there. It is not only one of the best superhero movies ever made, it is the best black superhero movie made to date. Yeah, I think we're in full agreement now, on that. Yeah. I don't think, I, you know what, I don't think anybody would disagree with me. This is like, this is like the Mount Everest mm -hmm. of uh, black superhero movies. It, it set a bar so high that it's going to be quite a while before you know it's matched mm -hmm. and the only way that i could think that they could do that is because uh ryan coogler is working on black panther 2 right now as far as i know yeah yeah and they've got most of the and they've got you know most of the cast and the same crew back together again and uh, to me, I think that's the only way that they're going to be able to match this particular movie. Yeah, I mean, this, and plus, I mean, not only is it just a superior movie, but this thing made all the money, right? Oh, my God. It made so much money, it was ridiculous. And I mean, this, was a, this was the first Marvel movie that made, made back its budget in the opening weekend. Yeah, yeah. That's how much money it did. I mean, you know what? And people have asked me, they said, well, have you ever seen anything like this? <clears throat> and I said, yeah, Batman in 1989. Yeah, yeah. And that you know was what? the last. And it's so, after how I mean, you've been around longer than me. You've been following this stuff longer than me. How many decades were they saying that uh, a big budget movie with a leading black cast 
will not do as well as a big budget movie with a white cast. Oh, forever. Well, that's why I always said that I didn't think that a Black Panther movie was going to get made because mm-hmm. I said, no, they're not going to make it because they're going to keep saying, well, nobody's going to go see it because nobody wants to see a movie because Black Panther really, um, this movie has a totally black cast. We have white characters, but they are very much the secondary characters in this movie. They're not the stars. You know what? The, you know what they called no. them on the internet? What the Tolkien white guys because they were both yeah. in the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, oh, you know some. I didn't think of that. That's right. Yeah. We had Andy Serkis. Mm-hmm. Who plays the villain Claw? Oh my God! And you know what? I just, like there's so many things to talk about in this movie, but I just got to say right off the bat that Circus was amazing in this movie. He was having so much fun. Oh, you know what? It was so obvious that he was enjoying acting in a movie where you know he's acting with his face and his body and everything like that. Yeah, he's having such a he's having such a good time being a bad guy, mm-hmm. which I which me I always love. I always love bad guys that are having a good time being a bad guy. Yeah. And that's exactly what he does in this movie. He's, I mean I'm, I'm I'm really disappointed that he ends up dying in it because like I would love to see him come back and play the role he, again. Yeah, you know, even though I consider this a a damn near perfect movie period. Yeah, there are some things in there that, you know, I, I and I really think that they uh, passed up a sweet bet by, you know, killing him off in this movie and instead of having him, because as you well know, in the comic books, Claw is a recurring villain. He's like the Black Panthers, you know, Dr. Doom or right. uh, Joker or, you know, Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a recurring villain, which is why it kind of surprised me. I said, well, wow, why did they, you know, because with a little rewriting, you know, they could have kept him around. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and... And in in the like there is a there is an out of course because in the comics Claw becomes a being of living sound, right? So, so there is that possibility, but they they he, the way he dies in this movie it makes it a little hard to go that route because he doesn't die in like a sonic explosion or anything like that. So, right, right. Which is you know if I were writing the movie, you know that's probably what I would have done. I would have yeah. probably had him get caught in a vibranium explosion or something like that, and and that would have turned him into a creature of, you know, living sound. But right. I didn't, and he's not so. <laughs> we'll just live with what we got. Right. And then the other white guy we got in this is um, uh, Martin Freeman, who's um, yeah. reprising. Also, you know, Circus and Freeman, they're both reprising their roles because Circus first played Claw in Age of Ultron, which is where he lost his arm. And then mm-hmm. in um, and Martin Freeman, he's back as Everett K. Ross, which is what he played in Civil War, who is, I don't know how much, you've, you've probably read the, the Christopher Priest run, right? On Black Panther, yeah, yeah, right, so, yeah. Martin Freeman's character is completely different from the character oh, yeah. in the Black Panther comics. Well, yeah, well, he, well, first of all, he's way more competent. Right, he's actually a CIA agent in this, whereas in the comics, he was uh, a State Department employee who ends up befriending mm-hmm. the Black Panther. Right, which, which kind of <clears throat> explain why he was kind of bumbling and kind of incompetent because mm-hmm. he wasn't meant to be a spy. You know, I mean, the guy is used to just, you know, he, he, uh, what's the kindest way I can describe him? He's a paper pusher. He is, he is. And he was the whole point of that character in, you know, talking about how they thought that 
this type of movie wouldn't work for most audiences. Christopher Priest had those same fears about a Black Panther comic book. So he used Ross as like a gateway, like a, a POV character for the white audience. Right, exactly. Exactly. He didn't need wait, which you know something I can understand that uh he felt that, yeah, well, he needed to insert okay, which is a narrative you find a lot in um movies and TV shows with that have a predominantly black cast. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most recent offenders of this I could think of, there was a movie a couple of years ago um, about Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. And it was a biographical movie that uh, Don Cheadle had wanted to make for years. And he was trying to get funding for this movie. And he was continually told that, you know, well, listen, you got to have white people in. You know, you got to have a white face in here. So what happened is that Ewan McGregor, he came aboard the project playing a reporter who was interviewing, you know, Miles Davis about his life and his work and everything like that. Now, the problem with this is that this reporter character was completely fictitious. Mm-hmm. He was completely made up, but he was a character that was made that they felt had to be in there so white audiences would go see the movie. Right. Now, having said that, let me just say something. I saw Black Panther three times in the theater, which is kind of unprecedented for me. Because usually these days I just go see a movie one time mm -hmm. and then okay, well, I wait for the Blu-ray or I wait for it to come on Netflix, Amazon. Amazon Prime or whatever. Okay. I saw it. Yeah. I saw it on the regular screen and I saw it in IMAX and I saw it in um, a format um, which is uh, exclusive to the Regal Theaters called RPX, which is kind of like uh, IMAX Lite. Okay. Okay. Every time I went to see it, theaters was packed. Mm -hmm. And when I say packed, yes, I do mean they were filled to capacity. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, there was one show when I went to, people were sitting in the aisles. Damn. I would have to say that at each of these showings, at least a good 40% of the audience, 30 to 40% of the audience was white. Mm -hmm. And they were hooping and hollering and cheering and, and carrying on and and you know, doing everything that the black audiences would do. They were into the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if that's a sign of the times, how we have changed, how we have evolved. I don't know. Personally, me, I just think that people just like a good story. You know, yeah. I, I don't think that people worry so much about uh, black and white as much as these studio executives do. No, you know, no. I mean, like, they've got, they've got their minds so, like, behind the deck like decades stuck in the past and they they don't think of they don't think that i don't know what they're thinking because the narrative like we had a movie about freaking asgard we had a movie about a talking raccoon and a giant tree in space and yet the narrative was still wakanda will be unbelievable how do we make wakanda yeah. believable realistic for an audience Right, exactly. And that's exactly, you know what, and I've read stories that they said that, you know, they had studio executives that were saying, well, nobody's going to believe this. Exactly, yeah. They can believe, you know, this fantasy realm in that's connected by a rainbow bridge. They can believe in a talking raccoon, but they can't believe in a technologically advanced African nation. 
And let me just say this, that yes, Wakanda is on Earth, but it is just as much a fantastic realm as Asgard. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got its own culture. It's got its own, which we see. I mean, this movie immerses us in a whole world, just like the Thor movies immerses us in Asgard. Matter of fact, in this movie, it does it even more so because it is set on Earth. I, I was about to say the same thing because I was... It's funny you mention that because I was thinking of the first Thor movie when I was watching this movie because when they when they come into Wakanda that first scene when the ship flies in it is very much like that first scene in Kenneth Branagh's Thor when you see Asgard for the first time it's got that right. same kind of feel to it but where right. it's That's different I, yeah. but where it's different is when you get on the streets right when T'Challa yeah. and um oh crap I'm blanking on her name uh Lupita's character. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're walking through the streets, right? And, yeah, and they're looking at the shops and the people going. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You get immersed Nakia, in this Nakia. whole world. I was, I was, I was blanking on her name. But yeah, when when they're walking on the streets and you see like the street vendor selling meat in the background, right? You see all these people walking around. It. That's the difference between Kenneth Branagh's version of Asgard and Ryan Coogler's version of Wakanda is Wakanda feels lived in. Yeah. Kenneth Branagh's yeah. Asgard, it feels like a set piece. It feels like background. It doesn't feel lived in. Exactly. That's what I mean when I'm saying that, you know, because it's on Earth. It has to be grounded in some form of reality, which it is. And 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 um, Ruth Carter, who we spoke about uh, in our previous episode when we did the Meteor Man, mm -hmm. she won the Academy Award for you know the costuming and the set design, and you know basically she was one of the major architects uh, behind the look of this movie. And it does. I mean, Black Panther doesn't look like mm -hmm. any other superhero movie that came before it simply no. because it is based in African culture. Yeah, I mean and this it, this movie is so black, Mike Bloomberg has to apologize for stopping and frisking it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love that. <laughs> it is. I mean and know what? This movie is unapologetically black. Oh, completely. Like, it makes no excuses for anything. And it, and even in the humor, too. Like, I love how um, uh, Shuri, she calls, um, uh, the, when she first meets uh, Ross, you know, she calls him colonizer. Yeah, colonizer. <laughs> yeah, because he wakes up from the couch after she's healed him from the mm. gunshot. And, you know, he's looking around, he's trying to find out, and, you know, and he just sees this little slip of a girl mm -hmm. who looks like she should be in junior high school, mm -hmm. but she's like, what, like the second smartest person, if not the smartest person on Earth. Oh, I think I think uh, Kevin Feige confirmed that she is the smartest person on, in the MCU. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, she's, I mean... This kid is amazing. And then he and then he walks up and then she says, Oh, don't scare me, colonizer. He said, What did you call? He says, What'd you call me? Colonizer. That's what you are. Oh man. And and um she has that terrific scene 
with her brother where it plays like a James Bond movie where she's Q and she's giving him all the gadgets. Oh, that, that, need. that whole segment, like when she's giving him the gadgets, when they're in South Africa, that right there, that, that whole thing is what, like maybe 20, 30 minutes long? That whole segment is a better Bond movie than any Bond movie we've gotten since Casino Royale. Yeah, this is what I this is what I consistently tell people. I say, you know what? The problem with James Bond movies now is that we have other movies that do James Bond movies better than the actual mm-hmm. James Bond movies. And like you said, that whole little uh, mission where he has to go to South Korea, that's a 30-minute James Bond movie right here. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrific and I'm not as against the, the Craig Bond movies because uh, I know you've got a lot of problems with them so we're not going to get too much into oh, that but but oh, I, I don't oh. have as many problems with them but even still like I look at that and I'm like yeah they're they're doing something that you know the Bond, the Bond guys need to start taking note of yeah Absolutely, they should be. They should have been looking at this movie and say damn how come we can't do that mm-hmm. like, I, like I said this one Oh, you know, the Fast and Furious movies Mm -hmm. and the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. You know, both of those franchises are doing... I mean, the Fast and Furious, really? Does a better James Bond movie than James Bond? (laughs) (laughs) Give me a... Come on. But, you know, I digress. Mm -hmm. Let's get back on point. Okay. So, um, I'm not... Like, you said you read the the Priest run, uh, but how far back with Black Panther do you go in the comics? Um, I go all the way back to when he first showed up in uh, Fantastic Four. Okay, and I and I would remind people who may not have read that comic book that when he originally shows up, the first time he shows up, <clears throat> the Black Panther fights the Fantastic Four and he beats them. Yeah, he kicks their asses by himself. Yeah, he beats them by himself. Yeah, I first. And it's not- I think, uh, like, I'd been exposed to him little by little, right? Like, he was in the Fantastic Four cartoon and stuff like that. He had been around the the comics. And, like, I had started reading Avengers regularly with Busick and Perez. And he appeared a few times in there, but his own series was going on at the time, which I, I didn't... I picked up the first issue. Like, I picked up all the first issues of the Marvel Knight stuff, but I only really stuck with Daredevil at that time. And then... Okay. Um, I think it was... Jeff Johns, when he was doing Avengers, like there was this, he did this arc with uh, the Red Skull. It was called Red Zone, and he had he had like had this showdown between the Black Panther and the Red Skull, and it's one of these one of the most memorable scenes where the Red Skull, I think he was using Wakandan technology, or I can't remember the, exa- the exact details, but he had done something involving Wakanda to create this deadly virus. Okay, and there's this great scene where Black Panther tears off his gloves, right? Like literally rips them off. And it's just like his, his, his hands, his real hands. And he holds up his fists and he says, I'm going to break your jaw. And then the red skull is just like those hands. Don't you dare touch me with those filthy hands. And the black (laughs) Panther proceeds to kick the shit out of him. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like the black Panther. All right. Yeah. And there's this other part where him and Iron Man were in this kind of argument and Iron Man was like, getting really pissed off at him and he was saying you use people like chess pieces and and he's like he's like i'm not gonna have any of it and then t'challa just responds very coolly very calmly but you're my night stark Ooh. 
<laughs> See, now you make me want to go get this thing and read it for myself. Oh, yeah. Jeff Johns' Avengers run, it is so underrated. It's 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 a short run. He only did, like I think, like three or four story arcs on it. But it is really good. Like, I, I put it below Busick's run in terms of, like, quality. Because here's the thing about the Black Panther. It, you know, even from his beginnings back in the 60s, he was he was presented by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby as being a global character. Yeah. You know, whereas the other Avengers, even like Iron Man, even, you know, we are told that, you know, okay, well, uh, Stark International is, you know, this worldwide multi-billion dollar. But Iron Man tended to stay a lot in, in the United States. Right. You know, you could never tell where the Black Panther was going to show up at. Yeah. He he was a character that literally went around the world, and he could show if if he was in the Great Refuge, you didn't question it because yeah, okay, well he's a Black Panther. If he was in Atlantis, he showed up in Atlantis. Well, he's a Black Panther. You know, this is what he can do. I remember like years ago when Moon Knight came out, and everybody was saying, "Oh yeah, well at last Marvel they had their own Batman." And I said, "Well, they've had their own Batman the whole time, the Black Panther." Oh my God! And like. When I finally got around to reading Christopher Priest's run, it was it was years after it finished, and a friend of mine had said, "Look, you got to read this run; it's amazing." And I'm, I'm like, "All right, yeah, yeah, sure." So I so I read it, and damn, like this guy, he's Batman, but smarter and more money, and with like a greater strategic mind. Like he, this guy could beat the shit out of Batman. He's Batman Plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a guy that's got his own country. He's got his own mountain of this magic metal. You know, I mean, he's got generations of this heritage of power and prestige. I mean, any way you look at it, the Black Panther is a magnificent creation, period. Yeah, it's just a shame that it took this long for people to appreciate who he is. Mm -hmm and what he represents, but I'm glad that now that people do and, you know, of course I mean, you know, like we were saying, I mean this movie was so successful that you remember that there was a little controversy because everybody was saying, well, Black Panther should get best picture, best picture, Mm -hmm. and the Academy was twisting themselves into all kinds of knots to the point where they were going to create a separate category. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they were going to create a separate category because they didn't want to give the Academy Award to a black superhero movie as the best picture of the mm. year. Yes. Yeah. And it was a, yeah, for a while there was a, I mean, but I mean, everybody loved this movie, except, mm. of course, for the racists on the internet who were saying, oh, well, uh, if we made a movie called White Panther, they'd be saying, you know, that we were racist and everything like that. <laughs> oh, and also, bizarrely, Terry Gilliam hated it. I mean, like, he, he, he called it utter bullshit and said, like, the crew had never been to Africa when they had filmed scenes in Africa and they had brought in they brought in African history uh, experts. They, they used African language, like, you know... Um, the costume designer, the set designer, she used so she pulled so much from African culture and used it in this movie. And then you got Terry Gilliam, you know, white explaining that it's it's not it's it's uh it's bad for black kids. 
Well, you have to remember something about Terry Gilliam. And I say this with all love and respect for Terry Gilliam because uh, Time Bandits and Brazil are magnificent works of art. Mm -hmm. But this is a guy that has wasted 20 years of his life trying to make a Don Quixote movie that (laughs) nobody wanted to see except for him. Yes. Okay? Let's get that out of the way first. This is a guy who never understood that in order for you to keep on making movies, you have to make movies that make money. Yeah, yeah. You know, Terry Gillum never understood this mm-hmm. about the industry, you know, that, yeah, okay, listen, I respect artistic creativity to the highest. Mm-hmm. Yes, but there's a reason why it's called show business. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> You know, so, and, you know, I mean, let's face it, his movies never made money. Right. So I can only imagine that he's probably very frustrated, which you've had a lot of these, I mean, you know, Martin Scorsese, Mm -hmm. you know, he, you know, he was very vocal about it. And, um, well, not this movie and not this movie specifically. So just to give some context. Oh, no, no, yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. no. I mean, you know, not this movie specifically, but uh, these are guys that have to... First of all, Terry Gilliam never really found his place in Hollywood, period. Mm-hmm. because Just because of the nature of his movies. Now, if he was smart, what he should have did, he should have did what Martin Scorsese did and a lot of other filmmakers who realized that, that the culture has changed and the type of movies that they made nobody is going to go to the theaters to see them anymore. So what right. do they do? Now they're going to Netflix, they're going to Amazon Prime, they're going to Hulu, they're going to Showtime, you know. I'm, I mean, because uh, these are uh, these are entertainment platforms that are willing to shovel plenty of money at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they gave Martin Scorsese, I remember reading an interview where he said that when he he was in talks with Netflix to do The Irishman, and they were asking him, well, how much do you think it's going to cost? And he gave them a price. And they said, okay, fine, go make the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, no negotiations, no nothing, no trying to talk him down. He said, because every time that he dealt with a studio, the one thing they always tried to do was talk him down on the budget. Well, can you make it cheaper? Can you make it cheaper? Mm-hmm. said, no, Netflix never did. He said in all his 40, what, 40 years of making movies, Marshall says he said that never happened to him before, where a studio just said, yeah, okay, go make the movie. Don't worry about how much it costs. Yeah. Now, taking going back to Black Panther, I want to give credit to someone who has not gotten enough credit for his role in this movie, and that's Don McGregor, right? So he wrote back in the in the seventies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the seventies, Marvel had this comic book called Jungle Action, and it was it was a pretty racist comic book before Don McGregor came along. It was just like all these <laughs> stories about like white guys. It was like you know Tarzan type stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was a book of reprints, actually, mm-hmm. full of, you know, Tarzan knockoffs. Yeah. So, yeah. so McGregor came in, and he goes to Marvel, and he says, well, wait a minute. You've got a character from Africa. He runs his own African country. You've got a comic book that's doing stories in Africa, and they're not Black Panther stories. What the hell's wrong with you guys? So he did it as... Um, 
Panther's Rage. It was a 13-issue story arc, and this is where so much of the movie comes from, because... This is the story of Killmonger and going after Black Panther and taking the throne and all and all of that. And he followed this up with another story where Black Panther's in America and he goes after the KKK. Now there's this right. there's this meme that's been floating around ever since Black Panther came along. And all due respect to Jack Kirby, he deserves a lot of credit for a lot of stuff he's done in the industry. But this meme says that when Jack Kirby was doing Black Panther, Marvel criticized him, saying that there's not enough white characters. So then Jack Kirby did a story with Black Panther fighting the Ku Klux Klan. And that is not at all what happened. It was all Don McGregor doing that. Yeah. I mean, Kirby, yeah. in fact, they canceled, they cut McGregor's KKK story short because Jack Kirby had just come back to Marvel and wanted to do his own Black Panther series. And his Black Panther series had... Again, all due respect to Kirby, but his Black Panther series did not have even a fraction of the kind of social commentary and, you know, forward-thinking nature that McGregor's stories did. Well, let me say this about before I jump in and, you know, uh, okay, two things. Would you consider that Panther's Rage could be considered like really because that was like the first like graphic novel really oh yeah i think I that's think. that's how it was really structured yeah it was structured right that's the, that's what i'm trying to get across that it wasn't structured so much as your typical monthly comic book it was structured yeah like a graphic novel mm-hmm. and second of all i take a back seat nobody in my admiration and love and respect for jack kirby but Jack Kirby, <laughs> brilliant though he may have been as an artist, he, he was not as brilliant when it came to writing. No, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. And yeah, his yeah, his Black Panther series. And I remember that I collected it, you know, like I bought. But then, you know, I bought it mostly for the artwork. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, because like I said, Jack Kirby, when it came to writing, yeah, he wasn't... Uh, how can I don't know? That wasn't his strong point. Let no, me put it that no, way. No, Jack Kirby was much more about translating fantastic ideas onto the page in art in his artwork. You know what's probably the best writing that he did? Or uh, when he took over uh what was it, Jimmy Olsen. Right, when he introduced the new gods. Yeah. 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 And it still it still cracks me up to this day that the whole fourth world that DC is still strip mining for stories and ideas started out in Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's getting a, and now it's getting a movie directed by Ava DuVernay. Yeah, yeah. But, hey, you know what? Jimmy Olsen, for anybody who has not read the Jack Kirby issues of Jimmy I highly suggest you go and read because that's some fantastic shit in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of this movie it takes stuff straight from um, McGregor's work, and yeah, the and it also and it mixes in some stuff with Christopher Priest. It takes some stuff from Reginald Hudlin, but most of it is Don McGregor in this movie. And what I really admire about this movie is that yeah, it takes all of these. It takes something from just about every era 
of the Black Panther. Well, I mean, one of the... It, it also, it can do that. It's easier for this movie to do it than, say, like, Iron Man or Captain America because, sadly, there have only been a few Black Panther runs. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's not like... Um, I mean, like Iron Man. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. That you know to pick and choose from, but Black Panther, like you said, it's like the Don McGregor, which to me is like the gold standard. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and when I saw the movie, I was happy that I did recognize elements that was taken from the Don McGregor story and translated very well to this movie, especially mm -hmm. with the character of Killmonger. Oh my God. Like, hands down, one of the best Marvel villains that, that has been in one of these movies so far. And you know why? Okay, this is why I love Killmonger so much. I Well, I love villains, period. That, okay, I watch what they're doing. I don't like what they're doing. I don't condone what they're doing. But damn if I don't understand why they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, he makes a he, lot of good points. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're sitting there and he's making the speeches and everything like that, and he's explaining why he's doing this and everything like that. I say, you know something? He he's a miserable son of a bitch, but damn if he doesn't have a point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's he's got point. And you know what? People don't seem to understand. That makes your hero stronger when your villain has a motivation that is just as powerful, if not more powerful, than the hero. Yeah. Because that's where you get real comp, because now it's not just a physical thing. It's about the ideologies. Yeah. And Michael oh, B. Jordan is, is he, he sells it so well. Like, his his portrayal is, oh, damn. It, it's just so good. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good way to put it into words beyond that, but it's... It, it's a... He's... You understand him. You you can totally sympathize with what he's doing. That scene when he's when he's buried and he goes to Dajalia, the the kind of ancestral plane. He meets his father. Yeah, and, yeah. And it cuts to him like it cuts back and forth between him as a young kid and him as an adult. And and uh, Jordan, he wipes a tear away. He like like you feel that emotion in that scene. I mean, it's a testament to the storytelling of this movie that they gave him that scene that they said you know what they're not afraid to give added dimensions to this guy yeah so that we fully understand his pain and what he went through and why he's doing what he's doing well something else too about about that scene and uh, Najobu his father was played by was played amazingly well by Sterling K Brown and just this very small role but it's so impactful in the movie and that's when he comes up to him and he sees uh, Killmonger as a kid and he says what are you doing what did I tell you about looking at my things and you think he's got like this stern tone of voice when he says that and it would have been so easy for them to portray him as being like someone who beat his kid or something like that. And they kind of, and it seems like they're going down that road, but then, but then the kid looks up at him and then he just smiles and he laughs. And he's like, what did you find? Right. And he, he it, you realize that this guy, you know, he was, he was not a bad guy. His father, he was, he was trying to do the right thing by his son too. Well, yeah, but see, that's the thing. 
and it goes back to what I always say. The best villains are the ones who don't think that they're the villains. Right. Now, like you said, the played brilliantly again by Sterling K. Brown. You know, he honestly felt that what he was doing was best for his country and his people. And you know what? It's hard to disagree with him. Because he yes. he makes a lot of good points. Because this is happening made, in in ninety two during they got the Rodney King beatings going on on the yeah, watching on the TV yeah. and everything. Yeah, I mean this movie isn't afraid to tie in real world elements and deal with racism and you know classism and you know even in Wakanda we see that yeah it's this technological paradise but it's not perfect either. Right. Because well, you got that, all these, got that, all these different tribes that are, you know, um, what is it like? Five different tribes, right? But and, they have their own conflicts, and you know. Well, yeah, there's a lot of issues with Wakanda, which is it's all kind of like in the background, but it's it's it it helps add to the to the rich nature of this, and to like because you've that that's one of the reasons why Wakanda feels so lived in because you can feel the political strife going on in the background, like this whole push and pull between tradition and modernization. And T'Challa is like stuck in the middle of all that, right? Because you've got these elders who don't want to change. Um, and then you've got people like Nakia who want to push forward and to to join the rest of the world. And T'Challa is stuck here in the middle with this. And he sees the... And, that, and that's one of the messages of this film is that he's not you know when you have all this power and you don't help anyone but yourself you know yeah you're not causing trouble but you're not really living up to your responsibilities mm, good point excellent point yeah and there yeah, is yeah, this I mean, and you see that because they have this I mean they, they decide who's going to rule their, their country by ritual combat like so right. they've got all this technological advancements but they're still stuck in the past in so many ways yeah, yeah. And I think the movie makes an excellent point of showing that conflict mm -hmm. so that when we get to the end of the movie and we see that T'Challa has made the decision to bring Wakanda into the 21st century, which, of course, is going to have ramifications, mm -hmm. you know, because I see Wakanda as being like a Pandora's box almost. Right. And if it's opened by the wrong people or open in the wrong way, you know, it has the capacity for, you know, immense destructive capabilities, you know, if it's not using right. See, this is why I love this movie so much, because every time I saw this movie and I went with, what, <clears throat> two times I went to see it with a bunch of people and the third time I went to see it with my wife. And every time after we came out of the movie, we had discussions mm -hmm. about it. I mean, and long discussions, not about the fighting and, you know, and everything like that, but about what the characters represented and what, you know, because everybody in this movie has a different point of view. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's mm -hmm. just their point of view. It's their worldview. It's how they see the world based on how they were brought up, their life experiences, you know how they were taught. It's... I think so even great. even more than The Winter Soldier, this might be Marvel's most political film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, like Winter Soldier, it's not afraid to shy away from uh, these very deep, heavy 
political subjects that you wouldn't normally expect to find in a superhero movie, but they don't slow down the story. And as a matter of fact, they do what they're supposed to do. They enhance the story mm-hmm. and give another level to it and raise the stakes for all of the characters. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, and something interesting about Michael B. Jordan. I didn't know this until I was reading the, the trivia, but he he auditioned for the Falcon in Winter Soldier. Mm. And obviously, you know, that went to Anthony Mackie, who, who does a great job, but I'm glad he got this other opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I had to go between the two, yeah, I you know... I'm glad he. I'm glad that he didn't get the Falcon, just so he could get this. And you know what? I've got a theory. I, I I have a personal theory. A lot of people say I'm crazy, or I just want the guy to be alive. But I don't think he was dead at the end of the movie. Well, that, there's been talk of him possibly appearing in the next movie, but I think if he does, it'll be more as kind of like, um, you know, like an hallucination or a flashback or something along those lines. Well, it would be interesting if Disney, um, what I would do is I would have a Killmonger TV series, you know, uh, detailing his life before, of course, well, you know, he's I, got to I wouldn't do it on Disney Plus because I think something like that would need to be, you'd need something a little bit more riskier than what Disney Plus might be willing to do. But put that on Hulu, I think, like what they're doing okay. with uh, with Hellstorm. Oh, yeah, that's right, because they got that deal with uh, Hulu that they're going to put some of their more, quote-unquote, adult-themed right. Right. stuff They've on got, their rack. Yeah, because Disney has a controlling stake in Hulu after they bought out the Fox's assets. Oh, okay. Yeah, I heard that, yeah, that they own a large piece of Hulu. Yeah, so I think... Well, is there anything that Disney doesn't own at this point? <laughs> I mean, you know what? Part of me is really glad that all the Marvel stuff is under one home and that they've got the money to keep making movies and TV shows and to keep expanding the MCU like they have been. But another part of me is looking at Disney like, you guys are starting to scare me a little bit here. <laughs> Why are they starting to scare you? Why? Well, just because there's all this media consolidation, right? And I think that's... That, that poses some really ethical questions about media monopolization and yeah, it's yeah, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, me, I'm someone who's very kind of wary of corporations to begin with. So, Oh yeah. And, and those are, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, I'm a little bit like uh, back when I was in, when I was in college, a friend of mine, she, she was like this, she was this tech, she was this really techie person. And she said, she's like, I love Google, but they scare me. And that's how I feel about Disney now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having all of your entertainment or so much of our entertainment owned by one corporation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, you got to look at them and you say, listen, I'm not so sure about this. You know, I don't know if I want everything I like mm-hmm. being owned by one big giant corporation and they're buying up stuff left and right. I mean, you know, yeah. every, every time you turn around, it's like, okay, well, Disney, they've acquired this and they've acquired that and they've acquired this and that and other. And, you know, where does it end? I mean, how much money can you make? Yeah. Yeah. 
on the other hand, <laughs> we keep getting movies like this. Yeah, so it, 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 like, that's what I said. I like the fact that all the Marvel stuff is under one umbrella. They've given it to Kevin Feige, who knows what he's doing, who clearly loves these characters. But it's just like all the consolidation is a little worrying. And they apparently have no problem with spending as much money as they can to make these movies. Oh, oh yeah, well. yeah. Oh, well, well it's going to cost $300 million? Yeah. Okay, here, take it and go. And you know what? So this is also, too, because Michael B. Jordan played the Human Torch in um, Josh, Joshua Trank's Fantastic Four movie. Yep. Uh, Chris Evans played the Human Torch in Tim Story's Fantastic Four movie. So now Marvel has given a second chance to two different Human Torch actors, and you just know Jay Underwood, who played the character in the Roger Corman Fantastic Four, is waiting by his phone, just like rubbing his hands. He's like, any day now, any day now. Yeah, he's like, any day now. Okay. He's telling the wife and kids, stay off that phone. Don't touch it. They're going to call me any day now. His wife is looking at him, just shaking his head, saying, come on, kids, let's go. <laughs> I'm telling you, go. But again, we got to go back to something that we've always uh, emphasized as being um, the one thing about all these MCU movies. The casting is impeccable. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody in this movie... Chadwick Boseman as the Black Panther. Again, just like we said with Captain America, you know, Chris Evans is Captain America. I cannot imagine anybody else playing the Black Panther No, now. no. And, and you know what? About Chadwick Boseman, it still feels so unreal when I watch him in interviews and he's using his normal voice because his... His African accent is so good that when he yeah. speaks in his normal voice, I'm like... That's not that's not your real voice. Come on, you're doing an American accent, aren't you? I know it just throws you off completely. Yeah, and he's <laughs> he he sells it so good. And you know what, Chadwick Boseman, man, he, he's building up a talking about monopolies. He's building up a, a monopoly on black icons now because he's done um, what he was in. He did James Brown. He did um, yeah, James Brown. Uh, Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall. He's doing uh, Yasuke, the black, the black samurai. <laughs> He's getting so Listen, dude. Let somebody else play these other black heroes. You got black man. You don't, you don't have to play them all now. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. But you know what? I'm glad to see. You know that he is playing all these different type of black heroes, <clears throat> because it goes back to something that, and you know what, I get into arguments with people all the time when they talk about that. Well, um, why doesn't Idris Elba play James Bond, or why doesn't this black actor play James Bond? And I say, no, I have no interest in seeing a black James Bond. <clears throat> I said, we as black people, we have our own heroes. Mm-hmm. We don't need to take a white hero, give him a tan, and then say, okay, well, James Bond is black now. No, he's not black. Mm-hmm. James Bond was created by a white man to represent a, a, a particular white point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, having a black James Bond, to me, makes about as much sense as having a white John Shaft. I don't want to see Michael Fassbender playing John Shaft. <laughs> okay? So... 
yeah, we have our own heroes. And I think I would like to think that now the pro, um, all these different projects that we're seeing on TV and in movies with black characters, I'd like to think that Black Panther kind of jump started all of that. Yeah, I think it definitely did. And we're going to, I mean, well, also, I think we got to give some credit because Luke Cage came out before this, I believe. Yes, it did. Yeah, Luke and, Cage. And yeah. Luke Cage was also oh, yeah. very much unapologetically black, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, that was the show that broke the internet. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Netflix literally crashed because so many people were trying to watch it when it, when it premiered. I know I did. I, uh, what was it? That Friday that was, I was, I was sitting at home. I think I watched, I watched the first season. Yeah. All in one day. I think I did too. And you know, I got lucky because I, you know, because it came out here when everybody over, when everybody in America was asleep. So I was able to watch the whole thing without having to worry about anything crashing. Mm hmm. Yeah. I think Minecraft watched for what, like three or four episodes. And then after that, it, you know, just shut down and said, "Yo, man, listen, you can't watch no more." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then after a couple hours, I I let it go by, and then I turned it back on, and I finished watching it. But yeah, but Luke Cage, you know, and again, this is another black superhero, but by no means can you say that he was a copy of Black Panther or there's any similarity to the two characters. Just because they're black, mm-hmm. they were just as different as, say, like Iron Man and Captain America. Right. Well, also, too, yeah. like, you know, Luke Cage, when he first premiered, was a lot more stereotypical than Black Panther when he first appeared. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Well, and the, yeah, the show we- made a lot of adjustments to Luke Cage's character. So he was a lot, a lot less angry black guy when they did the, the Luke Cage TV show. And he was much more uh, speak softly and carry a big stick type. Well, Luke Cage in the comic book, he was, when he originally appeared in the comic book, he was born out of the, uh, you know, the black exploitation oh, movies yeah. Yeah. that were popular mm-hmm. at that time in the 1970s. And in fact, at one time back then, uh, it was rumored, I don't know how true this rumor is, folks, but this is one of the rumors that, that uh, Jim Brown was going to be playing Luke Cage in a movie back then, you know, during the 70s. Now, that would have been great, but you know who else would have also been good is... um, Fred Williamson. Yes, Fred Williamson. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Black Caesar himself. Yeah, yeah, that's how I I always saw Luke Cage as more Fred Williamson than Jim Brown. Same here, yeah, because, you know, Jim Brown, he was was athletic. He was much more, you know, he was much more fluid, uh, much more slim, but... Fred Brown, it's uh, Fred Williamson, is like carved out of granite. Yeah, and I could actually see Fred Williamson saying something like "Sweet Christmas." Oh hell and yeah! And pulling it off. Definitely. You know? Yeah, yeah. Jim Brown, I couldn't see him selling it. That, no. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, but the um, the original character, as he was originally conceived, it was much more in the vein of the black exploitation movies of that era. Whereas now, when we got the Netflix series, he was a much more contemporary character. Yeah, in, you know, which also worked for him. I mean, oh yeah, it worked it was, great. I mean, I love Luke Cage. You know, Daredevil obviously holds the gold standard, but Luke Cage is a close second. How about Jessica Jones? 
Uh, Jessica Jones. I like Jessica Jones too, but I think I like Luke Cage and Daredevil more. Yeah, yeah. Jessica Jones got kind of dra- Jessica Jones is kind of draggy in spots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first season was good, but it still had that kind of like soggy middle that a lot of these Netflix shows had. Um, and and then the la- the last two seasons just like it it kind of dropped down. I felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know what. <laughs> And we've talked about this before here on on this podcast, and I've, you know, you and I have talked about it in private. I'm a big believer, listen, if you only have enough story for six episodes, then just make six episodes. Well, that's that's what Iron Fist Season 2 did. They they cut down the episode number from like 13 to 10, and it really benefited the show to have that that tighter uh, condension. Yeah, because you know what? I don't want to have three or four episodes in the middle. I don't want to have the first three episodes. Okay, everything is happening. Then we get three or four episodes where absolutely nothing happens, and it's just the characters regurgitating right. stale dialogue right. that we've heard before of the show. And then the last three episodes, everything happens in the last three episodes. Yeah, I mean, either oh. put in some extra B plots or something to move it along, or cut the episode number down. Like Watchmen did this perfectly. Right? Oh, nine episodes. Very tight. Lots of story. And it's perfect. It's like pitch perfect execution from episode one all through episode nine. There's not a moment of that show that I'm not sitting on the edge of my seat. Absolutely. This is what I'm saying. And yes, I get this from people that say, well, you don't understand. That's characterization and world building. No, it's not. It's padding. Exactly. Yeah. There's <laughs> a difference. It's pad- I know padding when I see padding. Mm-hmm. Trust me. I know the difference between characterization and world building. Mm-hmm. But there's some people, quite frankly, there's some people that will sit and watch anything. Yeah. They will. Yeah. They'll, you know, they'll watch anything. You know, and not you know what? Not now, going me, I'm to, old. <laughs> now going back to the movie and the the cast in this, like, you know, as awesome as Chadwick Boseman is, like a lot of that awesomeness is just kind of a continuation of when he first played this character in Civil War. But like when you put him in the midst of all these other characters, these other actors who are amazing, like he kind of gets overshadowed in his own movie a little bit. Well, yeah, well, yeah, kind of because um and that's not that's not a knock against Bozeman's performance cuz he's great in the movie, but it's just everyone else is amazing. Winston Duke, who steals every damn scene he's in. Yes. That's oh Mubaku. my god. Yeah. I, and it's so it's so great what they do with Mubaku because in the in the comics, the man ape he's Kind of a crap character, right? He's not really that interesting. He's kind of like <laughs> one note. When Christopher Priest used him in Black in his Black Panther run, he was kind of like written off, like as like not really a big threat. But in this, they they give a completely different version of Mabaku, and I love what they do with him in this. And because in the comic books, the man ape's whole thing is he's against Wakandan technology, right? He's he's more he's so much into the past and tradition that he thinks Wakanda should shun technology completely. Mubaku in this movie is not like that. Like he says at the when he when we first comes in and his whole thing is he's just he's more pissed at Shuri not for using technology but for scoffing at tradition. Yeah, exactly. And I love mm-hmm. I love the scene when they go see him and Ross tries to plead the case and he starts barking at him yeah and he barks at him he said i didn't give you leave to speak mm-hmm. 
you know, and he, he and he just totally dismisses it. But also, oh, and then he and then he makes the he's like he's like I will feed you to my children. And then he just laughs and he's like we're we're vegetarians. <laughs> well, see, that's the whole thing I love about the character is that yeah, he does these things where he comes off like he's trying to be big and bad mm-hmm. and tough and intimidating and everything like that, and then he undercuts his own self by making a joke out of it. Well, you the, know, the, the greatest thing too is he's the only one who laughs at his own joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody else thinks this shit is funny. Even, the, even his guards are just kind of like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, but he's having the time of his life, you know. You kind of get the feel that he's a very benevolent ruler. Yeah. You know, he really doesn't stretch this shit too much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but Winston, I mean, he steals every single scene that he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who else? Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. Who's been stealing scenes now for like 30, 40 years now, you know? So it's no secret that he knows how to steal a scene. He's good. Uh, Angela Bassett. Yes. As Black Panther's mother. Ramonda. You know? Yeah, she's she's so good. She's just, and there's there's a hint of like what we could have seen of her with the white hair and everything, which I know Ramonda has in the comics, but still it is kind of makes you a little bit wistful. It's like, she could have been Storm, man. Yeah, yeah, she could know some. That's that's the exact same thing I thought when I saw her with the white hair. I'm trying yeah. to say, you know what? Is that like a subtle statement that they're trying to make? They're saying, okay, well, this is what you could have had because you know that she did try out for the role. You yeah. know, she wanted the she role. She wanted like the that, role, but, and then they went with yeah. Halle Berry instead. Yeah, the studio said, no, well, you're too old. <laughs> yeah, and like. Even now, she looks like she could still play the role. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. You know, if they were gonna, if they were gonna make a storm movie tomorrow, yeah, put Angela Bass in it. Mm-hmm. There's only matter of fact, there's only two people, there's only two actresses I have ever seen in my mind as playing Storm, and one is Angela Bassett, and the other one is uh, David Bowie's wife, Iman. Iman, yeah, I remember she was mentioned a, a lot too. Yeah. But uh, who else? Well, you know, um, I, I I recently watched uh, the Hate You Give, and I thought the 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 young actress in that movie, I thought she was really good, and I think she's actually been mentioned as a possible contender. Okay. For when they eventually bring the X Men into yeah, yeah. the MCU. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's, I think it's mostly like fan cast and that kind of thing, but but she oh, was okay. really impressive in the Hate You Give, so I think she could probably do a pretty good job. Yeah, because it's going to happen sooner or later. Oh, eventually, they're going to bring yeah. X Men in. You know, now they don't uh, bought the about lock, stock, and barrel, right? Oh yeah, yeah, they got all of it. Yeah. Um. So not only Angela Beth, but Letitia Wright as Shuri. Like I was never a big Shuri fan in the comics. I I didn't really get into Reginald Hudlin's Black Panther run. I I tried reading a little bit of it. I was wasn't really my thing, but. And he created Shuri in the comics, but Letitia Wright is brilliant. She's a, she's so good in this movie. I mean, she manages to pull off something to me that is very difficult to do. She pulls off... Okay, she's this little sweet, innocent-looking kid. Like I said, she looked like she belongs in junior high school. Yeah. And she's still got that innocence of youth and that wonder and everything like that. But then, uh, but then she is able to project this immense intelligence that she has. Mm-hmm. 
to me, that's very hard to do, but she pulls it off. You know, yeah. she doesn't do, you know, when she's showing off her toys, you know, to her brother there, and she's got this excitement and, you know, she's just so thrilled that she's able to build all of this stuff and everything like that. And yeah, intelligence is kind of hard to pull off in movies, I think, mm. because there's a tendency that you can go the way that uh, Robert Downey Jr. did. Mm-hmm. Where you know Tony Stark is arrogant, you know he's brilliant. He knows he's brilliant, and he's going to make sure you know that he's brilliant. Or you have the other type of genius that's very reclusive, right? Like um, and, you know, Mark Ruffalo's Banner, right? Exactly. But Shuri is like she manages to get across all of the attributes of a teenage girl mm-hmm. while still projecting that fearsome intelligence that she has. Yeah. And it's it's an amazing performance. It is. It's an amazing In a movie full of amazing performances, yeah, her stand out. Yeah. Her, uh, matter of fact, I think that my favorite actors in the movie is her, uh, Winston Duke, and um, oh, I just said his name. Oh, M- Michael B. B. Jordan. Yeah, yeah, those would be my, yeah, those would be my my top three as well. Like yeah. those are the ones that really stand out to me. Um, yeah. And you know what? I want to see Shuri and Tom Holland's Peter Parker interact at some point because they there's so much energy between those two, and you could you could imagine like the interplay between them would be a lot of fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. I mean, somebody needs to put those two together in, in a movie. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> And, and, and of course, we got to see a scene with her and Tony Stark. Yeah, I mean, a little bit hard now, but but yeah, I wish we could have seen yeah. some. In fact, I I was so expecting when in the trailers for Infinity War when we first see that you know Iron Man is now using this like nano machine suit, I was so expecting there to be some reference that that had come from Wakandan technology because she yeah. does, that's how that's what she does with Black Panther's suit. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, so I think well, maybe no, I, mean, I think maybe at one point there will be some like mention, whereas like you know, in like the next movie or something like that, there's some mention of like, yeah, we g- we gave some technology to Stark. But okay, but um, speaking about Tony Stark, isn't he supposed to be in the Black Widow movie that's coming up? Well, yeah, like but, flat- but that's set before Infinity War. That's set between right. Civil War and Infinity War. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't completely write him off because they can always still do more movies and oh, just sure. yeah, yeah. yeah, this took place before Infinity War, you know. Yeah, they could something do something like that. like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, so that would be great to see the two of them interacting because I loved what that brief interaction she had with with uh Banner in Infinity War. And yeah, he's talking yeah. about what what they did with Vision, and she's like, well, why didn't you just do it this way? And even the Vision <laughs> looks at him like, yeah, why didn't you do it that way? And Banner's like, because we didn't think of it. <laughs> yeah, we didn't think of it. And she just sucks her teeth and says, oh, colonizers. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm sure you did the best you could. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's difficult to pull it, but I think that because she projects that innocence and she's got the qualities of, of a teenage girl that kind of tempers the intelligence a little bit so that people don't feel intimidated by her yeah like they do with tony stark like that's just that he and 
and he does that on purpose. He intimidates people with his smarts, mm-hmm. you know, but she doesn't do that. You know why? She doesn't feel the need to do that. Yeah. And uh, let's also talk about Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia and Danai Gurdita as Okoye, because both of them, you know, they're they're both, their roles are so improved from the comics. Because, you know, in the comics, Nakia and Okoye, the, the Dora Milaje, they're sort of they're they're bodyguards too but they're also kind of like wives in waiting type of thing is how they're described yeah exactly but in this they're just they're just there's no mention of that in this they're just flat out royal guard in this yeah they're bodyguards yeah which i kind of like i like i like it a lot better i like the idea of them being like this kind of like warrior class It, it it fits them so much better Matter of fact, I like the way that women are handled in this movie, period. Oh, yeah. This, you know, as much as it celebrates, like like we were saying, like African culture and, and all that, but it, it really celebrates black women. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I took Patricia to see it and, you know, that was it. When she came out, I couldn't tell her anything for the next two weeks afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, I am not buying you a spear, Patricia. No, <laughs> she wanted a spear. No, you, know, you, you can't have a spear. You don't know what to do with it. You'll kill yourself with it or me. <laughs> and she's like, "Shut up, colonizer." <laughs> well, one, well, one colonizer was something else. Trust me on that. But, but yeah, but I mean. This is a movie that's got plenty of strong black women. And they're all, again, I go back to everybody's got their own character. Like in the scene, like with Killmonger, where he throws T'Challa off the cliffs. Mm -hmm. And Angela Bassett, you know, she's got to run for cover because she's afraid she's going to be killed and everything like that. And um, Lupita Nyong'o, she talks to, uh, what's her name? Yeah, she talks to her and says, okay, well, we got to go. And she says, well, what do you mean we got to go? I'm not going anywhere. Well, what are you talking about? And she says, listen, my loyalty is to the throne and who sits mm-hmm. on it. Doesn't matter. And I say, you know something? Again, I didn't agree with her, but I respected her. Yeah. Because that- she said, this is, my duty is to Wakanda. And that's Not also, and that's also, you know, another example of that kind of like push and pull between tradition and uh, modernization, because Nakia really represents the kind of change that's come into Wakanda, and and she's like, no, you know, we've got to help T'Challa, and you know it, and, and it, but even still, like Okoye does not tell her don't go right she still says look i understand what you have to do they they okoye still respects nakia's decision to leave yeah yeah she said listen if you gotta go you go i gotta stay and i don't know i just really get off on that type of interaction between characters Mm -hmm. and how they have different points of view but they can still respect each other and and nobody is 100 percent wrong and nobody's 100% right. Yeah. This movie does a really good job at portraying complexity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a definite complexity to all the relationships between these characters Mm -hmm. that I really think that people, you know, that resonated with people. They didn't feel, after a while, you actually forget you're watching the superhero movie. Oh, yeah. Really, you do. Well, I mean, you could you easily do. take, like, all the superhero stuff out of this movie, and this would work straight up as a political thriller. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even if you didn't have the superhero stuff, right? Yeah, take out the take out the technology, the Wakanda mm-hmm. technology, and you know the suit and everything like that. Yeah, and you'd have a straight up political thriller. Yeah, you would. Yeah, and it, it like it again. You know, all due respect to Winter Soldier because that set the bar really high, but Black Panther just kind of blew through it. Yeah, yeah, and and as I was saying earlier, this is a movie that was such a cultural touchstone. I mean. This movie, I, 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 and you know, not just here, not just here, but worldwide. I mean, people just fell in love with this movie. I mean, people went back to see it multiple times, which they know. Like I said, I went back and saw it three times. And yeah. I, I, I can't remember the last movie that I went back, you know, to see in the theater and pay to see in the theater three times. You know, I think it was, I think it was Mark Bernard and um, who hosts Fat Man Beyond with. Kevin Smith, and he, when they were talking about this movie, and you know, Mark Bernard is a black writer, and he was saying, I, I, I think I'm pretty sure it was him. I, I might be wrong. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, but, but he said that you know, you know, black people, we've had our culture taken away from us, our, our national identity taken away from us. So, why not have a country? Like, we might as well have a country. Why not it? Why not let it be Wakanda? Like, that's our culture. Well, you know, you had a lot of people. They said that there was, they said, they said there was an unusually large amount of Google searches. Uh, people asking the question: Is Wakanda a real country? Because mm. they wanted to go there. <laughs> well, remember which there was a which I think was a testimony <laughs> to the art of the filmmakers that they put this world on screen so effective. Lee, that people actually wanted to believe that this was real. Yeah, and you know, people are doing the. There, I remember when the film came out. There's so many photos on social media of people doing the Wakandan salute. Oh yeah, yeah, and <clears throat> excuse me, and there were people that were going to the movies dressed up in African regalia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't see it myself, but I know that I have friends of mine that was telling me, "Yeah, man, I went there and by like." 30 people came in there and we thought they were real Africans until they spoke, you know. But, you know, people felt touched mm-hmm. by this movie that they wanted to come and, you know, this was their way of showing their respect or having some kind of further connection with the movie that, yeah, you had people that were showing up in full African regalia to go see the movie. Yeah, and I, I really like what they did. I really like what they did with Nakia because if you remember in Christopher Priest's run, there was this scene where Black Panther, T'Challa, when he was under the influence of, I think it was Mephisto, like brainwashing him or something, he ended up having this mm-hmm. kind of like hallucinogenic episode where he thought he was kissing um, his ex-girlfriend, who was um, Monica... Yeah, Monica Lynn. Monica Lynn, thank you, yeah. And then yeah. it turned out he was kissing Nakia, and in, in the comics, that was like him committing himself to Nakia. And when he told her, when he tried to explain the situation to her, she went kind of insane, and she became a villain. Mm. But but this movie, you know, they kind of they kind of combined Nakia with elements of Monica Lynn, because, you know, they used to date, they've clearly got this history between them. And I really kind of like that. I... W- Although it does kind of make me wonder, will they ever be able to bring in Monica Lynn now, too? Mm, yeah, that's it. Because, well, I think that in the next movie, they probably should do something in... Oh, oh, 
Although, as much as I would love to see them stay in Wakanda and just deal with Wakanda, but kind of now at the end of the movie when he's, uh, you know, he has a sister, he takes her to Oakland, right. you know, California, and he does said that he's done bought the property and he's going to establish an embassy. <clears throat> Excuse me, you know. And he wants her to run the embassy and the science center and everything like that. So I guess in the second movie, we're going to see more of his involvement in the United States, which also would be interesting to see how black Americans would react to the Black Panther and, you know, what they would think of him and, you know, what he's doing and how he's doing it. Again, getting into another level that would add to what we've already seen. Right, yeah. there's that there's that great scene at the end where the the little black kid comes up to him and he's like, "Is that your ship?" And he's like, "Yes." And he's like, "Who are you?" Right, and yeah, so like there's, and you can kind of see like the awe on his face, which which also kind of, you know, like we were talking about last week uh, with the meteor man, it's like giving this kind of symbol to to black kids, and that's that's a perfect example of that right there, like the kind of wonder in his face when he looks at T'Challa. Oh, that was a perfect way to, and yeah, that was a perfect, because he just walks up to him and he's like, oh man, is that your ship? Yeah. He said, yeah, that's right. I said, wow. I said, Who are you? And he just, and then, you know, the child just gives him like that little smile, everything like that, and then bam, we cut the off. Yeah. Everybody in the theater lost it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and, you know, huh? also they had, um, Daniel Kaluuya, who played Wakabi, who's yeah, who's different yeah. in the who's different from when he is in the comics. In the comics, he's much more of like a, you know, a very faithful advisor to T'Challa. But here he's say it. He, he in the comics he was a toady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but in this, you know, he's in fact, you know, I kind of noticed that. Daniel Kaluuya was not in Infinity War. He wasn't among the army there, so it makes me wonder if maybe he's uh, facing some punishment after the, after the rebellion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, we understand why he does what he does too. Mm -hmm. You know, because and you get and they really in in a short amount of time because um, they have that scene where they're next to the pen where. The war rhinos are kept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and and they're talking, and in a very short amount of time, <clears throat> we get their whole relationship. You mm -hmm. probably get the feeling that these guys have grown up together since they were boys, and well, they know each other really well, and you know, they're best friends, which gives added poignancy to when he makes some promise that, yeah, well, you know, you're going to get Claw, right? You're going to get Claw. And he says, yeah, 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 man, I'm going to get Claw. Well, then he does get Claw. Right. And he says, <laughs> like, you know, it's, you know, your father promised the same thing, too. So, it, yeah. And, he, and he's also, you know, it's interesting because he he's a victim in a way of, he's a symbol of a victim of colonization because it was a, because it was Claw who was coming in to exploit Vibranium that killed his parents. So, like, he's not straight out a victim of colonization, but that, that's what he's supposed to represent in that. And, yeah, exactly. But you see how it's changed him, right? Like, he's, like he's, he's become kind of, he's kind of thinking the same way they are. Because he tells, you know, he tells T'Challa, you know, a refugee program would be bad. Right? He says, like, you know, if you bring in refugees, you bring in their problems. And then, you know, he supports Killmonger and he says, you know, it's going to be the conquered or the conquerors. And I know which one I want to be. So he's he's kind of stuck in that mentality. 
And Nakia, who she represents another aspect of that because she's been out there. She's seen it. She's been all throughout Africa helping these people. She's seen the effects of colonization and what this kind of mentality has done to other people in Africa, how it has kind of twisted them. So now it is they are only thinking the same way that their oppressors thought of, too. And she's trying to say, no, we got to find a different way. Yeah, we have to find another way. There has to be a better way. To, you know, to, and yeah, I mean, you know, listen, how often do you find themes like that in a superhero movie? No, not, almost never. <laughs> not until Black Panther. Yeah. And I, and I love how it, it just treats these. It, it's so, you know, it's so it's it doesn't it doesn't shy away from these very heavy themes and it just puts them right up on screen. It puts them in your face. Exactly. And it, makes yeah. you, it makes you, which is, you know, as I was saying earlier, every time I left out of a showing, the people I was with, we got into these long, you know, we went out for dinner and we got into these long discussions and we were talking about the themes of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't talking about, you know, oh man, wasn't that bad when he kicked him or when, no, we were talking about, well, how about when so-and-so said to so-and-so and, and she said that that's what we were doing. That's, and I, suspected that's what a lot of people were doing when they came out of this movie that they were talking about the themes that were mm-hmm. raised about various uh you know uh uh as you said um uh, you know uh, what am i trying to say the <laughs> things of colon the things of colonization and mm-hmm technology and how technology can be used and abused and was it right for Wakanda to hide themselves, you know, from the world and right, the, the black you know, nationalism because, themes and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. All, all, all of that kind of stuff. They, like I said, you would not expect to find in a superhero movie, mainly because superhero movies didn't think that they should tackle these heavy themes. Right. You know, but as we can see again, it resonated with a lot of people because this movie made a shitload of money mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was written up in all the magazines. I mean, people were writing, you know, uh, all kinds of, you know, papers and essays and stuff like, I mean, like going deep into the themes of this movie yeah. that I, that, that I never saw in any other superhero movie previous to this one, but because I think that nobody expected this. First of all, I don't think anybody expected this movie to be as good as it was. No, no, definitely not. And this is a movie that, you know, which kind of, which kind of the reason why you made bets with so many people that now you're going to go bankrupt paying them all off is because this movie has some version of this movie has been talked about for years, going back to the early nineties when Wesley Snipes wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Wesley Snipes, Wesley Snipes wanted to do this right after Blade. Oh, yeah. Soon, even after Blade came out, he was still saying, Black Panther's going to be my next project. The story that I heard was that the studio said, no, well, we're not interested. What I heard was that um, apparently, uh, I think it was, he was involved with John Singleton. And I think it was John Singleton. Um, yeah, John Singleton. And, yeah. Uh, John Singleton, though, he wanted to set it in, um, yeah, John Singleton, he wanted to set it during the civil rights movement in America. But Wesley Snipes wanted to keep it set in Africa. And that was like the big, they could never breach that divide. Oh, okay. Um, And then, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because I know that Wesley Snipes 
this was like his dream project that he wanted to do, you know, Black Panther. Yeah, and I remember also Tim Story was talking about it too because he was he there was a time when he was going to be doing a third Fantastic Four movie, and he said like in the third movie we're bringing in Black Panther, we're going to Wakanda, and I think he was talking about uh, getting Jimon Honso to play the role. Hmm. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, because after. After Hanso blew up in um, Blood Diamond, everyone was talking about him as a potential Black Panther. Him as Black Panther, yep, I remember him. He, I think he was in Amistad, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Amistad, yeah. And they were talking, yeah, I remember there was a lot of talk, well, if they ever make a Black Panther movie, this is the guy. And I can see that. Oh, yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, well, he did the voice of the character in, um, there was a short-lived Black Panther animated series. And on, oh, uh, on BT. Right. Yeah. yeah, and he did the voice of T'Challa in that. So I think mm. there was probably, I think one of the reasons he probably did that, did the voice, is because, because you know, Reginald Hudlin, who wrote the comic at the time, that was the heavy basis for the, the cartoon, he he ran BET. Right, yeah, yeah, because I remember the cartoon, right, because I remember the cartoon was on BET. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. So I, I right. wonder if maybe there was like some deal, like maybe Hudlin was trying to lead this up to to get financing or something for a Black Panther movie, and he probably promised the role to uh, uh, Hanso if he played him in the, in the animated series. Yeah, because it was only five episodes. Right, so I, that's what I think. Like, it probably... Right. It, it didn't do what it was expected, and so it never ended up materializing. Because I remember when it was on BET, it was a different episode every night for five nights. Yeah, yeah. I think it came on, like, 8 or 9 o'clock, something like that. Yeah, and I remember saying, oh, shit, my Panther, okay. Yeah, the animation wasn't that great, as I remember, though. No, it was kind of like... You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the. It reminded me of a enhanced version of the Marvel superhero from the '60s. Right. It, it's like a motion comic type thing. Motion comic. Yeah. That's what. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. That's what it reminded. Me of. And, and I and. and I might be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that if anybody's interested, you can find that on YouTube, those episodes on YouTube. Well, I remember the theme song was pretty cool. Yo, yeah, definitely. I forget who got, it was somebody pretty well known who did it also. I can't think of who it is right now. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, it had a cool theme song. But I, yeah, but I do remember that it was billed as, it, it was a special event on BET, you know, yeah, Five yeah. Nights. Um... And it's well worth looking up, folks, if anybody's interested. Like I said, I believe it is on YouTube. Yeah. I'm looking it up right now, trying to find some information about it. Um... Uh, no, this doesn't say. Um, but yeah, but look it up online. Like the opening alone is worth it. Like it's an awesome, it's an awesome opening to the series. Okay, so uh, is there anything else we want to touch on with Black Panther? Is there anything else we need to we we haven't talked about yet? Well, actually, yeah, there is one thing I thought about, and talking about the whole influence of the colonization type stuff and all that was the whole thing about him being uh, Killmonger. That scene when he when he faces off in the challenge, and you know he takes off his shirt and he's got the. The, the scarring in it, on his body that he's done for one of those for every person he's killed. And he talks about how 
he talks about how um, that he he's killed, you know, his black brothers and sisters on this very continent, in the name right. of in the name of an American form of imperialism. So he's he's kind of it's interesting to where he's kind of doing the what Malcolm X used to advocate for in a kind of perverse way, the whole any means necessary thing. Yeah, yeah, and we're like you know, he's he's been brought up, he's been trained by the American military, he's been trained in black ops and all this stuff and he's now using those skills. It's like it 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 is kind of the any means necessary. He's been using each thing as like a stepping stone to kind of eventually turn back on the oppressors. But in the in the context of doing that, he's also been a tool of the oppressors too. So it's that is that kind of interesting complexity we've been talking about before. Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, next to Loki, Killmonger is probably the best villain that we've seen in the MCU. Definitely. Well, I think he's definitely the most complex. Oh, absolutely. Like yeah. Loki's, no, Loki's, Loki's the best just because he's so entertaining. But as far as in terms of complexity of character, I think Killmonger easily walks away with the honors. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a riveting performance and <clears throat> I know that most of the people out there that are listening to this you know you probably seen them I mean I hope you've seen the movie uh, mm. I mean I mean I'm pretty sure there's probably some people living in outer Mongolia someplace who haven't seen Black <laughs> Panther but but if you have if if there is some chance you have not seen this movie then I strongly urge that you stop what you stop listening to us pontificate and you go and if you got Disney Plus because it's on Disney Plus mm-hmm. you can watch it on there or you can get yourself the Blu-ray which and I for anyone know, who's I who's have. living out, outside of America I'm pretty sure like a lot of the MCU movies are also on uh, Netflix too at least here in Japan a lot of them are yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of them there. Uh, there's a lot of them that are still on Netflix as well. I think that mm. when the contract is up, then it's going to go exclusively, you know, to Disney Plus. Right, right. You know, but yeah, but some of the MCU movies are still on there. But yeah, you. This is a movie that you see not just for the superheroics and which is outstanding, the action sequences, mm-hmm. like we talked earlier on about that whole uh, South Korea. Uh, sequence that is like, forget oh, about it. That's that, like that, a showstopper. That's even better than the than the final battle, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah, actually, actually, I thought. I, I mean, that's like a showstopper, mm-hmm. you know. But you have the relationships between the characters, the socio political themes of the movie. Uh, Killmonger, who is, I mean, Shuri, I could go on, I could easily sit here for another three hours and talk about Black Panther, but that would get boring after a while because <laughs> all I would do is just gush on and on. If I do have a problem with the movie, is I have a problem with the fact that when, okay, I didn't like how, okay, they would give them, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Okay. When they do the ritual combat thing, right? Mm-hmm. And they drink the berry to take away the powers of the Black Panther. They drink it in 30 seconds. Okay, the powers are going away. They drink it again in 30 seconds, they got the powers back. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, too accelerated for me. Okay. You know, like, I don't think it should be that easy to, you know, gain the powers of, of the Black Panther. 
that oh, okay, you drink this and like in thirty seconds, boom, okay, you got all of these extraordinary physical powers. And then in that final fight, they had a scene that reminded me of what was it, Spider Man three. Remember Spider Man three when uh Spider-Man was fighting Venom. Oh, yeah, yeah. And every time that they had a talk, you know, they took off their mask. Yeah, yeah. And put it back on. And took it off and put it back. Well, that got kind of annoying in the final fight where every time they were talking and, you know, well, I guess since you have the nanotechnology, it's easier to do it, but still. Hey, you know what? I think that's know. that's one of the, like, I, the nanotech armor they've been using for a lot more of the characters. First Black Panther, then Iron Man. You know, Spider-Man has it now. And going forward, I think more and more characters are going to start using this kind of tech. And it's going to make it almost too easy for them to take off the masks. Yeah. 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 Which I really don't like anyway that, you know, they're taking the mask off and on and off and on and on. Mm -hmm. To me, that's kind of distracting. I, I agree. Yeah. But considering how much they got right in this movie, uh, the things that they that I perceive is you know they got wrong. Listen, any movie that has armored war rhinoceroses, <laughs> I mean, how bad can the movie be? It's not, duh, it's not bad at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, something else I love too is that. Um, that last scene with Killmonger, Killmonger's death scene, right? When he says, you know, you know, he's like, I, he, he, T'Challa gives him a chance to like save him. And he says, no, I don't want to do it. Instead, bury me in the ocean where with my ancestors who, who didn't, who read, who chose death over slavery. Like that, that was just such a powerful line. And then he takes him to see the sunset. Right. And he says that, you know, because his father always told him that Wakanda has the most beautiful sunsets in the world. And then it's this very subtle thing. I didn't even notice it the first time I watched the movie. But I noticed on the second time where T'Challa takes Killmonger's arms and puts them in the Wakandan salute. Yeah. And it's just it was it was so powerful. And it's just like this is, you know, he didn't get to make amends for his father's actions. So, like, the least he can do is let him die a Wakandan. Yeah, let him... Yeah, exactly. You know, let him feel that he's been accepted at last. You know, he gave him that. Which, yeah, you're right. Um, It's one of the most touching death scenes I've ever seen in any movie. And, like I said before, I... uh, Me, personally, I don't think he's dead. Because... He's royalty, right? Mm-hmm. So it stands reason they would have had a royal funeral for him. Mm-hmm. You don't see any funeral. You don't hear any mention of Killmonger after. And we've seen how extraordinary Wakanda technology is. Yeah, but don't you think that would kind of undermine like how powerful that that scene was? <laughs> yeah, but you know something. I just love Killmonger so much that I don't <laughs> want to believe you did. That's what it. But, Mostly, that's what it, it's me. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I think. How I think they'll they'll use him if he is going to be in the sequel, like it's been rumored, is I think he'll be in that the ancestral plane. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good. Yeah. And See, that would be that's a good way to use him going forward. I think because you can still have him. You can still have him be like kind of like the this ideological foil to T'Challa in some way, at, at certain points, but while still preserving the power of that scene. 
Yeah, he's in the afterlife, and he's still telling T'Challa, "Kill him, kill him all." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unleash Wakanda in the world. <laughs> oh, here's something interesting. Um, Yaya Abdul Mateen II, who, you know, he played Black Manta in Aquaman, and he was in uh, Watchmen, the TV show. He auditioned for Mumbaku. Really? Yeah. I loved him in Aquaman. Oh, he was so, and in and in uh, Watchmen as well. Another great, another great black villain. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, is there anything else we uh, we have to do? Uh, we have to talk about on this. Anything we need to touch on? Uh, like I said, people are gonna get tired of me gushing about it. <laughs> you know what? I can't say. Really, I can't. You know what? I really can't say anything. Even the little nitpicking things that I just mentioned, that's what they are, nitpicking. Black Panther is just about a perfect movie, period. Mm -hmm. It's not only just a perfect superhero movie. It's just about a perfect, you know, yeah. And in the pantheon of the MCU, if I was going to put together a list of, like, the top five MCU movies, Black Panther would probably, I'm with you, it'd probably be either number one and number two. For me, like, number one for me is Endgame, number two is the first Avengers, and number three is Black Panther. Okay. Okay. That sounds right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because Endgame, I mean, that. yeah, you can't, you know, as we said before, if they never make another MCU movie after Endgame, that would be perfect. That yes. was the perfect way to cap off everything. You yeah. know, of course we, of course we got other ones that's coming up after that. But I mean, even if you decide, well, you know what, I, I don't want to watch any more movies after that. You got a story right there. You got a whole universe right in those twenty-two movies. But yeah, uh, if I was going for the top five, yeah. I would say, yeah, Black Panther would probably be number... For me, it would either be number three or number two. Oh, also, there's um, there's uh, there's another really uh, big-known uh, African celebrity in this movie, and that's uh, Trevor Noah has a secret role in this movie. Really? He plays the voice of the computer when um, Ross is flying the ship. Oh, you know what? In all the, I've seen this movie maybe what? How many times now? About like eight or nine times now, and this is the first time that I've known that. Thank yeah, you. I only knew it because I, I read an article about it, and um, and yeah, they asked him to be in it, and he he just came in, and he just you know just like a just a day's work comes in, and he films and he records a few lines for them. Hmm. Which I really, you know what, and I. I really like that notion that somebody who is actually African did have a part in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, how much more can we go on to say that this is a terrific movie? And if you mm-hmm. haven't seen it, by all means, you should see it. And if you if you have seen it, watch it again. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just watched it, you know, the other day and for prepare for this. And, you know, it, it's such a captivating movie. It's so good. Yeah, I watched it yesterday, and, you know, like, I'm watching it, and, like, about, like, 15 minutes into the movie, I forgot that I'm supposed to be watching this for research, because usually um, when I'm doing research, I'm doing the air quote thing, folks, (laughs) when I'm doing the research for whatever movie that we're going to do, I have my notebook, and I'm making notes, you Mm -hmm. know, of things that I want to talk about, you know, 
as I'm going along. 15 minutes into the movie, I wasn't making any more notes because I was engrossed in the story all yeah. over again. And like I said, mind you, I've seen this movie eight or nine times now, but bam, 15 minutes, I'm into the, I'm not taking notes. I'm not, I'm not in my critical podcast host mode, which I get into when I'm watching a movie. No, that was going, I was just watching it as somebody who just loved this movie and was just digging it and was just enjoying the movie, the experience of watching it all over again. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. And yeah, I, we could both go keep going on and on about this movie. So I think um, instead of just growing, I think people probably start unsubscribing if we just keep on gushing for the next three hours. I know we should pick a movie. The next movie we should pick should be one that we hate. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a nice segue because the next movie is your pick. So have you given any thought to what you want to do next? Oh, I don't know. Are we still going to go with the black superhero? Because we, uh, because this we're recording this in the last week in February. Mm-hmm. So the next time we're going to do something is going to be in March. Well, it's up to you. Um, I'll let you make the, the call on that. Okay. Okay, here's what we should do. We're going to cap off the whole uh, theme of black superhero movies by doing one that actually somebody recommended on um, uh, Superhero Cinephiles, the Facebook uh, uh, group that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody had asked, I don't remember the name right now, excuse me for forgetting your name, but they had asked us, were we going to do Abar, the first black Superman? Right, yeah, we got an email about it. Um, I'm looking it up right now. Oh, was it an email? I thought it was on the Facebook group which is a not unsettled plug for those of you who haven't joined the group yet to go to Facebook superhero cinephiles. And <laughs> um, yeah, I believe it was Brad Mengel sent us right, an email. Okay. And... Yeah. So yeah. Uh, okay. So a, a bar, the black Superman, the first black Superman it's called. So, uh, all right. So yeah, come join us, uh, next episode. We will be talking about that, which is the first black superhero movie. So the, yeah. when he, when the title is the first black Superman and it's accurate. <laughs> yeah. It's the first one. So I think that it would be fitting that we cap off this series by doing that movie. Okay. All right. That sounds so good. We're gonna do that, and I do. I do believe it's available on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, come come listen to us next time. We talk about Abar, the first Black Superman. Meantime, watch Black Panther if you haven't. Watch it again if you have, because it's just an amazing film. And um, yeah, drop on over. As Derek said, we got a Facebook group, superhero cinephiles. Drop in, join the group. Um, start joining the discussions. Derek posts a lot of his, the movie the movie reviews from his website on there. Uh, we post about some news and other sort of discussions about superhero movies in general. So yeah, stop on by, uh, join in. And also, we're on Twitter. Uh, go over to our Patreon site, which you can link to through SuperheroCinephiles.com. Um, give us a few bucks, because every uh, little bit you give, even if it's a small amount, it helps us to support the the hosting of the show and to improve it going forward. And also, you know, if you're on iTunes or Stitcher or anything like that, wherever you get your podcasts, go drop in and uh, leave us a review so that um, that it can help people find the show. And yeah, I think that's about it for this episode. 
Um, I would just like to thank everybody. Um, apparently, um, this series, this little mini series that we've done on black superhero movies, you know, some people have told me in private conversations how much they appreciate it. Some of you in the Facebook group have told us how much, you know, you, you enjoyed our opinions and our pontificating about these black superhero movies. And uh, hopefully if we're still around next year, you know, next February, we'll come back and we'll do the movies that we didn't get a chance to do this time around. Yeah. Sounds good. Even some of the bad ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, why not? We gotta, I know we got to start doing some movies that we, you know, don't like just as a contrast, you know, but see, but you know what? I'm the type of person, and you know me, uh, Perry, I'm the type of person. I like to encourage people to watch stuff that they're going to enjoy. I don't enjoy, you know, going on and, you know, ripping a movie to shreds and talking about how much I hated it and everything like that. I would much rather steer people towards stuff that I think they're going to enjoy rather than rip apart something that, you know, really, I, I don't know. I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts where they do that mm-hmm. all the time. They just tear movies to shreds and everything like that. And I don't understand why if you profess to love movies that much, you devote that much energy into telling people how much you hate this movie or that movie or this movie or that movie. Talk about the movies that you enjoy and that you think other people will enjoy. That's my thing. So well, I mean I mean you look at a lot of the movies that we've talked about on this show. Like a lot of them are movies that, you know, people tear apart. You know, Swamp Thing, the original Doctor Strange, uh Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, uh Meteor Man, which did last episode. Like, you know, we we found a lot of good things to talk about in these movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I wouldn't recommend movies to people because you know what? This is the way that I see it. And I always tell people like this when they talk about, especially when, when uh, I'm talking to other writers about reviews mm-hmm. and they say that, you know, people write reviews and they write these horrible reviews and they tore their books apart and they hated them and stuff like that. And they asked me, well, how do you deal with a bad review? And I said, well, I thank the person for writing it. Well, what do you mean you thank you for Because you know why? Because they gave up time out of their life that they're never going to get back to read my book. Yeah. And I have to respect that. So if they think my book is shit and they tell me it's shit, I got to take that. Yeah. Because they invested the time in it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, now I may not like it. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, I may not like it, but Hey, I can't tell a person, you know, well, you have to tell me nicely that Mm. you thought my book was shit. No, if you think it's shit, just say it's shit. Yeah. You know what? I'm sorry. I'll write a better book next time. I've actually given people their money back. Okay. But they told, yeah, I've given them their money back when they did, you know, they hated the book and everything. Like, oh, and I asked, well, do you want the money back? And they said, yeah. I said, okay, here you go. I'll give mm. it to them back. Okay. All right. Okay. So uh, that does it for us. Yep. Next time we'll talk about Abar, the first black Superman, which, you know, I think we may, I haven't seen it yet, but from what I've understood from some reviews, we might have some critical things to say about that one. <laughs> You know what? I have seen it. I but I saw it like years ago. It was on. It must have been about three or four years ago. It was on Turner Classic Movies. Okay. They're underground. 
uh, a series of movies. I saw it there. I saw it there, and like a lot of their movies that they show on the underground slate of films, I could not believe what I was watching. <laughs> okay. so I'm, looking for, I'm looking forward to seeing it again to see if I still had that same reaction to it. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so that'll be fun to watch and talk about. Okay, uh, that's all. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next time. Okay, thank you, folks. Good night. God bless. You have been listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Super Cinema Pod. Join our Facebook group by searching for Superhero Cinephiles, where you can interact with us and other superhero fans. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a regular supporter at Patreon or make a one-time donation through PayPal, both of which can be found at our website, SuperheroCinephiles.com. If you buy or rent any movies through the Amazon links at our site, it helps support the show. Please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. And as always, good night, good evening, God bless.